What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Jesse Granger. He is a Vegas Golden Knights reporter for The Athletic. In this episode, I chat with Jesse about a bunch of different topics from the NHL players electing to pause some games in the Stanley Cup playoffs to advance the conversation on racial injustice, to Ryan Reeves' role in affecting this change, the Vegas Golden Knights team this year and how this compares to the team that made the Stanley Cup final a couple years ago, and it ends with a conversation about his journey into sports media, as well as his advice for young journalists. The We Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to episode 67 with Jesse Granger on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, on today's episode of the We Sports Chronicles, I am joined by Jesse Granger. He is a Vegas Golden Knights writer for The Athletic. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, listen, we're, we're going to talk, obviously, about Vegas Golden Knights and, and, and your career, of course, in sports media, but obviously an unprecedented couple of days in the NHL as, as we're recording this. The NHL, of course, players elected not to play yesterday, Thursday, and today, Friday, in the light of the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Jesse, for you, I mean, I'm sure you were on that Zoom call yesterday with the Western Conference players, seeing several of them, including, of course, Nazem Kadri and, and Ryan Reeves, Vegas Golden Knights player. Or just your thoughts on, on just trying to report and, and navigate through this time? Because, of course, the NHL on Wednesday was a bit delayed, but then it, it seemed like they were moving in the right direction on Thursday. Yeah, and, and Pierre-Edouard Belmar on the Avalanche, he kind of talked about what it felt like playing Wednesday night when all the other sports leagues shut down, and he, he talked about how fast everything just happened, and I think a lot of people jumped on them um, and blamed them a lot for playing those games when these guys are in a bubble and are yeah. separated from their families, and they're in a – like, I, I, I think people need to put themselves in their shoes a little bit more and, and realize the pressure that they're under, and not only for, for those games that night, but then that – that press conference that morning. And like, to me, the, my takeaway was, I don't, I don't want to get too into everything those guys talked about, but I, to me, my biggest takeaway was it sounded like Ryan Reeves was sitting in his hotel room the night before worried. And he kind of felt alone. I, I feel like I got the feeling and he wasn't sure what was going to happen. He mentioned, am I going to walk out on my team? Am I going to have one guy go with me? Am I going to have a couple guys go with me? And then he wakes up and he's got a text from Kevin Shattenkirk, who's in the Eastern bubble for the lightning. And he's saying, Hey, I've got some guys on the East that want to talk about this. We want to talk about not playing. Then he gets a text from Bo Horvat, the captain of the team he's playing against in the playoffs. And I feel like to me, Ryan Reeves feels a lot more connected and a lot more backed by his NHL teammates and, and, and opponents than he did uh, two days ago. And, and even if that's all this solves, even if all this solves is just the NHL players, um, the, the minority NHL players feel more included because of this, then I think it was worth it. Absolutely. And I think you make a very good point. I mean, I, I, I think we're so in 2020 quick to judge, you know, everyone, if, if, if they're not, you know, right there to make a response or whatnot, but I think making 
the point about being in the bubble is is a very good one. And, and as your colleague for the Athletic Pierre Lebrun reported yesterday, over 100 players spoke with Matt Dumba and Vander Kane with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And I just think it's so important, I think, to that point, to have those white hockey players like a Kevin Chattenkirk showing their support for Ryan Reeves and black players right now in the NHL, especially in these times where the conversations surrounding systemic racism need to keep continuing, and especially in hockey. Yeah, yeah, like, and, and, and Reeves said it. He was like, I thought the most, the most impactful thing that happened today was the fact that the white players reached out to, to me to, to get these conversations started. I didn't have to be the one to initiate everything, which has kind of been the case so far in sports. It's been the black athletes having to do all this other stuff. And we've seen plenty of support from white athletes, but they just don't seem to be the ones initiating it. So it seems like that's changing. And then for you, Jesse, because I'm always curious as a reporter, you're covering the team and, and, and so many of your athletic colleagues are as well right now. And how do you approach something like this? Because this has obviously been, it's unprecedented. Journalists, they don't run away from stories. They run towards stories. How, what's your approach when you're trying to paint a picture of what's going on as well as shed some light on the conversations? And, and now, of course, try to then go back to reporting on the hockey team when, when the Stanley Cup playoffs resume, assuming on Saturday. They just released the schedule Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, I mean, I, like, I was writing the news story yesterday, so that's a little easier. Brian mm. um, Clark got the duty for writing the column and that's obviously a lot especially with with subject matter that's as controversial as this and it shouldn't be controversial but it is if you look at the comments section of course it most definitely is and um i i go when i'm writing the news angle of it i mean i just try to to write everything the most important things i saw in the presser and and i and i wanted to when i like when i write that story i felt like it was necessary to mention the backlash that they faced for playing on Wednesday. And I mentioned all the other leagues that shut down. And then you, you give the explanation that Belmar and I thought Belmar's explanation was good. So I, to me, it was try to cover all the bases, try to hit it from every angle that someone reading it is going to want to, to see it from, and also stick to the quotes these guys gave and the facts that I've been given. And that's, pretty much what I try to do on stories like that. Um, definitely not as easy as the hockey writing. Um, I, it's, for, for me, it's definitely less uh, of a undertaking to write a hockey story. So I will be excited to write that when they get back. You've obviously been close to this team since the franchise's inception. And it must be also a bit of a challenge for you being in Vegas, reporting on the team when, when they're in Edmonton right now. But just from your conversations with players and coaches, Pete DeBoer, what's the sort of morale mindset of the team right now? Because obviously, again, they're, they're dealing with trying to get, win a Stanley Cup, but then also a lot of the social issues such as racial injustice happening in America right now. Yeah, the, the, the social issues I don't see as a distraction. Mm. Um, just because, one – Every team's dealing with it. Yeah. Um, they're all, I mean, all the players are doing it. And I, and I just don't see it as a distraction. I think, if anything, it's, um, like I said, I think these guys feel better than they did a couple days ago. Um, but the Golden Knights have had plenty of distractions, uh, mostly <laughs> on social media, whether it's Alan Walsh tweeting pictures of Flurry yeah. or 
Jonathan Marshall so just had to apologize for Instagram comments because he was angrily replying to some people after the loss the other night. So, I mean, this team has been laser focused since they got into camp. And I've said it from the, the moment phase three started when they first showed up is Vegas had more attendance at those phase two, those small workouts than basically any team in the league. And they are focused. And I think that these players, I think it's because they genuinely feel like we have a shot at winning the Stanley cup. We're one of the best teams in the league and their, their focus has been about as good as you can imagine. But then lately, I mean, like I said, there, there, there's been a lot of, as Pete DeBoer calls it outside noise. And as much as he wants to call it outside noise, it's inside noise because it's Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent and it's Jonathan March. So like, this isn't something I'm writing in a column. That's outside noise. So we'll see if it affects their focus going forward. Um, I, like I said, I think they've been very, the, the mindset of this team has been very good. One of the better, I think mentally, I think this team is one of the better teams in the league as far as just where they're at right now and where their game is. But that can change really quickly. Vancouver looked really good in game two, and we'll see what happens moving forward. How does this Vegas team, Jesse, compared to the one that made the cup final in 2018? Very different. Like, it's, it's shocking how much turnover there's been on this team when you consider that they haven't really lost. Like, there's turnover in sports. That's how pro sports works. But it's usually after you go through struggles that you turn the roster and turn the coaching staff over. But, I mean, they haven't really lost much here. They had that controversial loss in San Jose and, like, most – people felt that they should have won that game if they mm -hmm. hadn't got that major penalty. So um, it's, it's obviously a different coach running the, the show. And Pete DeBoer is a lot different than Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant left this team. It was a lot more freewheeling. It was um, transition hockey. There's not as much structure to it where he wants his players to, to feel the game and make decisions as he sees things happening on the ice. And this team, because of that was they used to be a lot looser defensively and they'd give up more chances, but they also were a lot more creative in transition. Now under Pete DeBoer, he's, he's implemented a much more structured team. And I think that's part of the reason that they've been more consistent lately, but they're also more of a half court style offense. They like to get the puck into the offensive zone, cycle it around, possess the puck I mean they possess the puck better than any team in hockey and, and then you look at I mean the guy who was backstopping them for the first three years is now on the bench Robin Leonard is a completely different style goalie I there might not be two goalies in the league who are more different from each other than Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury when it comes to just goaltending style and Leonard's been very good for them um, that first team didn't have Pacioretty, Stone, Chandler, Stevenson, any of these guys so it's I mean two completely different teams I think this team is much more talented if you just look at them on the yeah. on the board they're a more talented team but that first team that first year team I always tell people they are they were so confident I don't ever remember a sports team that was so sure everything would go right and they had no reason to not believe that because everything did go right all year long like nothing could go wrong for that team so they just had I like I always say like maybe they that team wasn't as talented as these this team that won the cup or this team that did this but I've never seen a team that was so sure of itself going into every game. And I think that's why they made it as far as they did. Yeah. And like, still, I think it remains probably the best first year franchise team, you know, in the history of sports. I mean, unless the Seattle crack and do something, but, but we'll, who knows about that. But I mean, I think with this Golden Knights team this year, from, from what I've watched thus far in the Stanley cup playoffs, Jesse, is, is they just have a swagger. Like I think when you look at the Vancouver series and game one Ryan Reeves talking trash to some of the Vancouver players and it's 
look, this is a team that, you know, teams don't want to face. And, and, and I think it's quite amazing what Pete DeBoer has been able to do with coming into a role where Gerard Gallant had a winning record when he got fired and Vegas is still able to, I think, be one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the swagger, and, and that's another thing that's a lot different from this team from that first year is the physicality. I mean, the Golden Knights, that first year, they were a finesse, skilled team. And I can remember going into the playoffs, everyone was saying, like, well, that finesse stuff works in the regular season, but now they're going to play the big, bad Kings. And they skated circles around them, and then they said, okay, Okay, but the Sharks are fast and physical. And I can, I can just remember the narrative being the Golden Knights will be the weaker team in, the, in these matchups, and they'll have to avoid the contact, whereas the roles have reversed. You, you're hearing those things about the Canucks now. The Canucks are the faster, smaller team. They need to get into transition and avoid the heavy game that the Golden Knights play. And it's, it's not just Ryan Reeves and William Carrier, and that's the two guys that everyone think of when you think of physicality in the Golden Knights because they're one and two in the league in hits for the last, like, three years, and, and, and they do – bring a lot of physicality but those aren't the guys that are the reason the Golden Knights are good the reason they're good is because guys like Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and William Carlson they play a heavy game but they are also fast enough to get on those quick guys and and they are really punishing teams and and I think the the route to victory against the Canucks for this team is to continue doing what they did in game one and that is take the time and space away from the players like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, get your body on them and just really rough them up because Quinn Hughes is a fantastic player and he's so dynamic, but if he's panicked and, and, and worried about the next hit that's coming and he doesn't have time and space to, to look for those big time stretch passes, he's going to make, he's going to make errors because any young offensive minded defenseman like that, that's what they do. They go for the big play. And, and to me, it's, it's strange how the, the roles have almost gone completely opposite just in two years where the golden Knights are now the big team looking to play heavy. Who do you think is an X factor on Vegas to beat the Vancouver Canucks? Because to me, when I look at this matchup, it's, it's going to be close and I would give Vegas the slight edge, but, certainly don't count out the Vancouver Canucks who certainly surprised in this year's playoffs. Yeah. Well, if you say X factor, I have to bring up Alex Tuck because it's yeah. kind of like an, an ongoing joke with like <laughs> Max Pacioretty the other day at the press conference, he and Alex Tuck and Mark Stone are all sitting up at the, at the podium and like Pacioretty referred to Tuck as the X factor. And then all three of them just immediately started laughing. So that's we, us in the media in Vegas, we've called Alex Tuck the X factor of this team for a while now. So now his teammates are starting to like poke fun at him for it. So I got to bring up Tuck and, and, and jokes aside, he is a, a big time factor for this team because he's a talented, talented player who belongs in the top six, but he doesn't, this Golden Knights forward group is so deep that he plays on that third line and it's a mismatch because you, he gets out there against most teams, third liners, and they just physically have nothing for him. He's so big and he's the fastest skater on the team at six, four, two twenty. He's the biggest, he, well, one of the biggest guys on the team, but he is the fastest skater on the Golden Knights. And it, it's given Vancouver problems. It gave Chicago problems in that first round. And, and when he's going, not only do you have that top line of Carlson, Stone, and Pacioretty, which is one of the best in the league, then you've got that Stasny, Marcheseau, Riley Smith line that's on fire right now. And you've got Alex Tuck on that third line to deal with. It just makes it – it makes the opposing defense's life a living hell when Alex Tuck is rolling. So I'd say him, and then outside of him, I'd say goaltending. I think if the Canucks are going to win this series, Jacob Markstrom has to significantly outplay 
the Golden Knights goalie, whether it's Robin Leonard or Marc-Andre Fleury. So if Leonard or Fleury, whichever one is in that, if they can match Jacob Markstrom, the Golden Knights are going to win this series to me. I think the only way they don't is if Markstrom outplays their goalies. So to me, the X factor is the goaltending. Well, it's going to be a fantastic series. And certainly, uh, you know, up, up in Canada where, where, where I'm from, I, I know the Toronto Maple Leafs are out, but I mean, I, you know, there, there, there's this discussion about Vancouver being Canada's team and whatnot. So it should be, should be very interesting to see what happens there. But shifting gears a bit, Jesse, and talking about your sports media career, you're a proud UNLV alum and I'm just sort of curious because for me, you know, growing up for me, Vegas was always okay. It's, you know, Sin City casinos, all that stuff. But for sports, it has now become quite a hotbed now for sports, thanks to the Golden Knights and the Las Vegas Raiders. So what was it like for you growing up in Vegas sports-wise and how did you sort of get into sports media? Yeah, so um, I actually grew up in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, right, by, right by the Olympic training facility in Colorado Springs, um, kind of by the Air Force. And uh, I played hockey my whole life <laughs> since I was like four now. Uh, been playing. And then, and then I actually moved out to Vegas with my dad when I was still in high school. Um, so I finished my, the very end of my high school career out here in Vegas. Um, went to UNLV, obviously. And was covering sports out of college. And it, the, the sports landscape in Vegas, it's unbelievable how much it's changed. And like you mentioned, the Raiders and the Golden Knights, and those are the two big ones. But it's a lot more than that because this, this city now has the Lights FC, which is a USL team, so the league right below the MLS. Um, that didn't exist three years ago. Um, they, they've also got the WNBA, the Las Vegas Aces, play at Mandalay Bay now. Um, they've got – a new it's it's they've had a triple a baseball team for a while um but they moved them to Summerlin, got a brand new stadium a year and a half two years ago um so that's a big thing now the the las vegas aviators and then you've also got the ahl coming now so the henderson silver knights will be here whenever the ahl season starts and it it is crazy how this city went from basically being UNLV football and basketball, the two, the, the college football and basketball team and boxing and UFC was, was the main thing. And like, that's pro that's mostly what I covered uh, before when I, when I first got out of college, before the golden Knights existed, I was mostly covering high school football and boxing and UFC. And you go from that to now we've, I mean, they're, they're an NBA team away from being every major city in North America when it comes to pro sports. So it's, it's pretty crazy. I, I had very fortunate timing just being a sports journalist coming out of college right when all this happened. And, and uh, I, I think I've taken advantage of it a little bit, but uh, it's been, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's fun to see Vegas have something that represents it other than the strip. Absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned something about playing hockey since you've been four. And look, I've, I've interviewed many Canadians on the show, of course, and, you know, hockey up here, it's, it's a culture, it's part of my, our identity. But I'm always curious to hear what the hockey experience is, is like in America, where it's, it's still growing and certainly not as permeated into the culture like it is here in Canada. So just curious about your experiences playing hockey in the States. Yeah. Yeah, so in Colorado Springs, hockey is pretty big. Mm. I mean, it's like the, the Olympic, like I said, I was right, I was real close to the Olympic training facility. And 
Um, there's, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche are big in Colorado, obviously. And, and then I, I also lived right by uh, Colorado College, the CC Tigers. They used to be a powerhouse. Back when I lived there, it was like them in Denver playing in the Frozen Four every year. Um, they're not as good anymore, but um, hockey was big there. And, I, and growing up, I, my parents didn't have the money for me to play ice hockey um, like competitively, like travel, but I did play roller hockey competitively. So I played both. I, I grew up playing both. I actually started playing just street hockey with my buddies. Um, and that graduated to roller to ice. And, and I played roller really competitively all the way up until about high school um, on travel teams and stuff. And then I moved out to Vegas when I was 17 and I stopped playing hockey entirely. Um, I, I came out to Vegas and football was pop, a lot more popular than hockey was. So I played football my senior year at high school, not nearly as good at football <laughs> as I was at hockey. <laughs> so that didn't really work. I was the backup quarterback on my high school football team. So that didn't really work out. Um, and then I went like six years out here in Vegas without touching a hockey stick, without putting any type of skates on. And then when there was news that Vegas was getting a hockey team, I was, I was working at the Las Vegas Sun at the time. And I was one of the only people in the newsroom that knew much about the sport. So they were like, uh, I was like the new guy in, in the newsroom. So I definitely wasn't the next guy up for a pro sports beat. But because I was the hockey guy, they, they let me run with it. And as I started getting around the hockey, before the team even came here, just talking to like Murray Craven and guys who helped shape this organization early on, um, I got the itch and started playing again. So now I play just men's league and like I play a couple tournaments, a couple travel tournaments a year, but I play, I play hockey a ton. I was playing last night. Um, I play men's league hockey three, four nights a week. Um, and it's awesome. And, I, and always a goalie. I've been a goalie since... When I was five, I was a goalie. Now I'm a goalie. It's all I ever played was goalie. Um, so I love it. Unleashing your inner Robert Leonard, I see there, Jesse. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's, it's interesting because I find like some of the best hockey writers for 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 me are are, are the ones who who have played the sport before. Like I look at Justin Bourne, who's contributed to the Athletic. For He's example. amazing. And yeah, like just a great and and just having that voice. So I'm. I'm curious how it helped you knowing the game in terms of your writing and it being able to incorporate some of those principles and the knowledge that you learned from playing it. Yeah. And I, I think it helps a little, and I definitely didn't like a guy like Bourne, he played the game at a very high mm -hmm. level. So for him, like he, he breaks it down like a hockey coach. I feel like when I'm reading his articles, I'm like, man, if I could just get Pete DeBoer to write something for me, this is what <laughs> yeah. it would sound like. Um, he knows his stuff. Like, that's another level for me. I think it, I think it helps just the fact that I've been in these situations before at a much slower, lower skilled level. Like they, I'll see something happen on the ice, whether it's a goalie giving up a bad goal. And it's like, well, I know what that feels like. I've done that a million times. Um, things like that. I feel like I can relate a little bit better. Um, not to say that someone who doesn't play hockey can't do those same sorts of things, but I, I do think, and like, especially goaltending, I've played goalie my whole life. I, I understand the techniques. And I think that position is widely undercovered and under mis I, th I think it's misunderstood by a lot of hockey fans um, just because it's so different from the rest of hockey. It's almost like they're playing a different sport than the rest of us are. Um, and, and I feel like just playing goalie my whole life, I, I, a lot of my coverage tends to focus on the goalies just because I know that position in and out. Um, it interests me. I feel confident writing about that. When, when, a, when a goal is scored, I'm much more confident 
on whether or not the goalie did the right thing than I am whether or not the forward did the right thing, just because I know what the goalie's job is. I know the technique he's supposed to do on that shot, stuff like that. Um, I think, I think it does help a little bit. You mentioned how you, you know, you started writing, you know, boxing, UFC, high school football. You then, you know, spent a few years at the Las Vegas sun before your current role right now at the athletic. I'm just curious, Jesse, the transition going from print to digital, was it challenging? And what are the opportunities that now at The Athletic you have in terms of your writing that you just couldn't be able to do at a newspaper like the Las Vegas Sun? Yeah, so um, in terms of print to digital, it really didn't make that big of a difference for me just because The Sun is not – I mean, it, it, they do print every day, but they are not nearly as focused on the print copy um, for anyone that's not in Vegas that's listening to this. So there's basically two newspapers in Vegas, um, two major ones, and it's the Las Vegas Review Journal and the Las Vegas Sun. And the Review Journal is the much bigger paper. They have a bigger staff, and, and the Sun is an insert inside their um, – they're totally different – uh, writers, different companies, they're, they're not connected other than the fact that they are printed together and delivered together. And at the Sun, most of my focus was about the digital side. Like we cared more about the, the site than we did the actual physical copy. And I feel like that's where most papers are probably going to be uh, very soon if they're not already there. So, so that part wasn't that big of an adjustment for me, but what was a big adjustment going to the athletic was, and I, and for me, it's a great adjustment is I was able to work more on the long form writing and enterprise stories that like, so at the sun, we also have a news uh, magazine, sorry, called Las Vegas weekly. Um, you can see a couple of the, I think there's a few of the magazine covers that I've written behind me, but uh, I loved writing for the magazine. That was my favorite part of working at the sun was writing for the magazine because I get to write long pieces that I get to take weeks to put together. And, and as a writer, that's my favorite kind of story to write, telling someone's story. And um, at the athletic, a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff is taken off my plate. Um, if they call an AHL guy up or if a guy is injured and doesn't practice that day at the sun, I would usually have to write a whole story on that. Um, whereas now at the athletic, they're like, ah, send a tweet out and we're good. Um, we, it takes up less of my time, the day to day minutia. Whereas at the athletic I have, because of that, it takes that stuff off my plate. It gives me a lot more time to work on the big major enterprise pieces, um, which as a writer, I love it just because that, like I said, that's my favorite type of story to write. So that's kind of where the transition's been. Yeah, I think that's what makes the athletic so great as a subscriber. And I've had many guests on who are athletic writers and then they just say, look, I mean, we were at a newspaper where, you know, we're bogged down by deadline, by word count and all this stuff. Whereas now at the athletic, you, you can write pieces that go beyond the scoreline, beyond the outcome, and really dig deep into a feature on a player or a trend. And there's an audience for that, I think. You know, I, I know a lot of younger people are more, well, I want the quick fix, I want the video and whatnot. But I think there is an audience for that longer stuff because people crave to just know and, and dig deep into a story into good reporting. Yeah. And, and you mentioned video. That's another thing that like at The Athletic, not only just because it's digital, but also you craft your stories a lot more at The Athletic. And without getting too far into the like behind the scenes, like how the actual story is put into a WordPress and like all that, stuff. <laughs> like at the paper, it's a lot more, you send your copy to an editor. They have someone who's designing the newspaper 
Like, so, so it goes through four different people. Whereas at the athletic, I pretty much put my story together on the thing, pictures, videos, anything I want. And then I send it to, to someone who can edit it real quick and post it. So I'm able to do like I, the story I just did on game two, I did film room, uh, breaking down how the golden Knights gave up their three goals um, in game two. And I can show the video of the goal then I can put in screenshots frame by frame to show exactly what I'm talking about. And like, that's something that you obviously can't do in a newspaper. You can't show screenshots of, of the game and trying to break it down that way. So it, it gives you the digital platform gives you a lot more options on just the way you can cover games. It's funny when, when people go to your Twitter, they, they, they see on your pinned tweet, hockey will never work in Las Vegas. And of course, a video of the crowd when they made the Stanley Cup final yeah. in 2018, back when crowds were a thing, breaking yeah. news. Um, but I'm just curious, Jesse, where does hockey go from here in Vegas in terms of growth, in terms of popularity? Because I think we saw that I mean, initial surge, and I think it's there, but what opportunities does it need to undertake to continue to grow, particularly in maybe the lower levels in the city, for example? Yeah. Um, I think there's, it's, there's still a ton of room for growth here. Um, and it, and it starts like most things do like with the youth programs and the golden Knights are doing a fantastic job with all of that. Um, they, so there were only two ice rinks in Vegas when the golden Knights came here, three sheets of ice. Um, hmm. it's two at the Las Vegas, ice center and one inside a, a casino actually the fiesta casino out here has a rink and they call it the sobe ice arena but anyway so there's three the golden knights already uh almost double that when they come here because t-mobile arena obviously and then city national arena their practice facility so there's two rinks at that uh facility so that's three that's three extra ones we've already doubled the ice in town um but the demand for youth hockey, for men's league, for rec hockey has been so much that they literally are like 24-7 at that facility. They can't get enough ice time. So they're already building another facility with two rinks in Henderson, which is a, a suburb of Vegas. Um, and from what I've heard, they're, all, they're anticipating that that rink will also be fully booked within like six months of it opening. So they're thinking about adding another facility with two more rinks um, in another side of town. So um, the youth hockey here has at least doubled, if not tripled, since the Golden Knights showed up. And it seems to be continuing in that trajectory. So um, hockey is getting big here. People love it. Um, I think a lot of people initially, so the Golden Knights announced they were, they were coming to Vegas. And Bill Foley, that was a huge jump off the deep end for him because at that point nobody knew if pro sports would work in Vegas and there was a lot of doubts that it ever would and it clearly worked and the Raiders followed suit and I think when the Raiders announced they were moving to Vegas a lot of people especially outside of Vegas thought yikes the hockey might have worked in Vegas if it was the only thing but now you give this city football are they going to care about the hockey team anymore and I think that that question has been more than answered um, it helps that they went to the Stanley Cup final in that first year, and it definitely built the fan base. But I think this city views the Golden Knights and the Raiders a little differently. And, I, and it's because the Golden Knights were – their hashtag Vegas born is perfect for them because they were born in Vegas, and they feel like Vegas' team. And this, this city – this, this city has wanted pro sports for so long, and I haven't been here my whole life, but I've been here like 13 years, and the, the thirst for pro sports was unbelievable there for a while to where 
even though this city hockey definitely wasn't its first pick, they would have preferred football. They probably would have preferred basketball, basketball, but they got hockey and it was the first thing that ever represented them other than the strip. When you're, when you're from Las Vegas and you go out of town and anytime you mention you're from Vegas, people are like, Oh, you must live in a casino or that whole thing. For the first time ever, there's something that represents me. I can wear a Vegas Golden Knights shirt, and, and it's something that represents Vegas that isn't the MGM Grand. Yeah. And I think that was a major, major deal that, that kind of didn't, wasn't expected. I don't think anybody expected that to happen. So now that we're three years into it, um, there is absolutely no fear that the Raiders are going to impact the interest or the, the fervor around this Golden Knights hockey team. Um, I think they're in great shape. It, it's not impossible for them to, to struggle with attendance. I mean, if they're terrible for 10 years, probably. But I think this, this, this hockey community is very stable and, like you said, uh, growing at a very fast rate. Yeah, and like I think in addition to the youth programs that you were talking about, I think they've just sort of transformed what it means for attending a sporting event just with like their intros and the nights and and all that great stuff that we saw during their playoff run in 2018. And I think, look, I mean, people sometimes go to sports for the sports, but I think there's a lot of people that want to go to sports for an experience. And I think the Vegas Golden Knights did that and and are doing that. And I think we'll probably see the same with the Las Vegas Raiders as well. It's not just about the football game. It's everything else that's happening. It's, it, it's a real unique sporting experience. It is. It's a show. If there's one yeah. thing Vegas is good at, it's putting on a show. And, and people in Vegas are used to, to getting a show, so they almost had to do that. Like, even UNLV basketball, um, they've got fireworks in their, in their player intros. It looks nothing like a college basketball player intro. Usually in college, it's, it's not the NBA they the lights are all on they kind of just announced the starting lineup and there it is UNLV they've been doing it for a long time they turn the lights out it's pitch black they shoot fireworks off it's 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 a show and the Golden Knights took that obviously to a entirely another level um this this team definitely set a new bar and I've noticed just traveling with the team for for road games in the three years that they've been in this league, um, the NHL, they're, the, the other teams are responding to that, and they are upping their game, and it's good for the whole league. And I, and I hope the Kraken, it seems like the Kraken are, are going to do the same thing. Um, they actually hired Johnny Greco, who was in charge of the Golden Knights pregame and in-game entertainment. The person who basically shaped all of that is now going to Seattle to, to do that for Seattle. So yeah. I expect them to, to take it up another notch and hopefully that'll force Vegas to up its game. Um, it, all hockey fans benefit if these, get, if these teams are competing against each other to, to give us the most entertaining product, right? Yeah, but Jesse, like you must go to Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. It's like, what the heck is this? Like... You know what, though? I think each <laughs> arena, like, they, like everyone can't be Vegas. Like, I, if, if I went to Toronto and they had this corny-ass uh, show the way they – and, like, it is corny, but Vegas is corny. That's, like yeah. – you go to Vegas and everything's over the top and it's ridiculous and it's supposed to be ridiculous. I think if they were doing that in, like, Montreal, it just wouldn't feel right. So no. I, I do think each arena has its own thing. And, like, I love going to Canada because people care about hockey so much up there. And, like, that's my – like not just in the arenas, but you go to a bar and it's nothing but hockey on all the TVs. Whereas here, you, you got to ask the bartender to get the game on huh? <laughs> if, if you want to watch <laughs> hockey. 
it's it's different. Um, I, I love it up in Canada. Like Winnipeg is another example. There's not a lot of show. People are there to watch the hockey, and and it's a different experience. But I think it's still good. I think it's great. There there's ways to improve it, but um, I definitely don't think it's worse in Canada where they don't have all the show and all that because it's it really is about the hockey and like especially in Montreal and Toronto, I feel like I'm in a, a hockey cathedral and it's pretty awesome. No, I know. You know, as much as Leaf fans like to criticize Scotiabank arena, it, it's still our, it's still our home. And, you know, we still, you know, still has a lot of history there, but I want to end the conversation, Jesse, like I always do. And, and obviously talk about sort of the, the future in, in sports journalism. And, and, and I know that you're, young in, in this industry and still c- continuing on your career but for for young journalists looking to break into the industry what advice would you give them because i know it's such a challenge but i feel like there's still a demand for news and there's still a demand for sports content yeah i mean my my suggestions would be to write as much as you can um like i think early in my career and by that i mean like my early call days I was afraid to write like I didn't write for the school paper until like my junior year and I and I I was kind of like waiting to learn how to write before I started writing and I figured out that that was probably not the best thing I should have done I feel like my career would have been further at the point when I graduated than it was if I had just written early and I think so my, my suggestion is write 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 and and if you get a chance to freelance for papers write for every publication you can um, the more you write the better you'll get and it builds your resume to where when you're actually looking for a job you've got seven publications that you've written for rather than just having your school paper it helps a lot so I'd say that and then also just try to be different Mm -hmm. Um, I think like you mentioned it's hard to break into this industry if you're trying to do what the people covering a team are already doing you're not going to beat them at it because they've got the following they've got the 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 rapport built up with the fans people know them you have to do something different and I and like that's what I like about the athletic is we're we're not a quantity based model we're a quality based model and we have to write things unique and good enough for people to pull out their credit card and subscribe and it's really trained my brain to think in a way like okay this game just ended what is everyone else going to do and what can I do that will be completely different that the fans will like so um, my, my suggestions are write as much as you can and and go out of your way to try to create different content than everyone else is is creating that night one last question when you're telling visitors to Vegas, a restaurant, what's one restaurant that you recommend to, to visitors that, that are visiting Vegas? Man, that's, that's a tough one. Um, Italy is, is, and like, this is, it's a brand new one. And, and I, I say that because it's right by T-Mobile arena. So my suggestions are usually for writers who are, who are going to be around the arena. Italy is fantastic. Um, it's right next to T-Mobile arena. You can walk there. Um, that's a pretty cool place. Obviously Italian food, um man what's another really good place in vegas um there's so many restaurants here that's the thing we don't really have a like like i feel like most cities and when i when i travel i'm always like okay what's the signature restaurant in the city vegas doesn't really have one we just have like a thousand (laughs) five-star restaurants that like all of them are good like it's it's hard to find a bad restaurant in vegas um there, there 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 isn't really one that stands out um I wish I had a better answer for you. I, oh, I, I, I can't mean, think of one hey, that stands out right now. Hey, you know what? It just shows again, Vegas is over the top in, 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 in a great way. Both on the ice and, and, and in restaurants as well. Jesse Granger, he is a Vegas Golden Knights writer for The Athletic. Make sure to check his stuff out on there. 
Jesse, I appreciate you coming on the We Sports Chronicles podcast and all the best to you for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, thanks for having me.